0: Netcasts you love
1: from people you trust.
0: This, this is Twitch. Bandwidth for the tech guy is provided by Cashfly. C A C H E F L Y.com Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks and XM Channel 166, our new channel, on Sunday, May 8th, 2011. This is episode 768. Enjoy. A good day to you. How are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And now it's time to talk about tech for the next couple hours at 88 88 ask Leo. That's my phone number. You have a uh, a little comment, a question, a thought about technology and anything with a chip in it, too, by the way. Not just computers, not just the internet, but cell phones, we talk a lot about them. Uh, home theater. Scott Wilkinson will be joining us in half an hour to talk about that. 888 827 Five five three six. That's toll free from anywhere in the United States. Outside the U.S., you can just use Skype and call that number; it won't cost you a thing. Eighty eight eighty eight. Ask Leo. The uh, iPad two went on sale in China on Friday, and uh, it's it sold out almost immediately. And I'm seeing that four were injured in a fight at the Beijing Apple store trying to grab an iPad. A glass door was smashed A near riot. I mean, that's not something you'd ever want to see, but uh, it it is a testament to the desirability of the iPad. I was talking to somebody at the gym this morning who said, uh, well, tell me, honeycomb, is it uh, ready for prime time? I said, and I have to say this, I said it yesterday on the show, we were talking to somebody. Right now, there's nothing, not even close to the iPad. The iPad is... Uh, owns this space. It, well, and it created it. Let's let's not forget that for ten years, Bill Gates and Microsoft have been really pushing the idea of tablets. I can remember going to Comdex. It's an old computer trade show that is no longer in Las Vegas. Probably it was two thousand four, two thousand three. I mean, seven or eight years ago, and Microsoft spent millions. To construct in the parking lot of the Las Vegas Con- convention center to construct a suburban home, it was like the Wizard of Oz. It was like it dropped out of the sky, boom! In the parking lot, there's a house, and it you know big Microsoft sign on the front, and it's it's one of their booths, I guess. So you go in, and uh, and and inside there's, a, it's like the Stepford Wives. There's a ro- a fake mom, a fake dad. A fake brother and sister in this house, each one of them, with a Microsoft tablet. Dad's in the living room watching the game and he's got the tablet. And this is before Twitter. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was, I don't know what he was doing in 2004. <laughs> Mom's in the kitchen. All right, this a little sexist. Mom's in the kitchen with her tablet looking up recipes while she cooks a fine hearty meal for her family. Brother's in his bedroom listening to music on his Microsoft tablet. Sis is doing her homework on her Microsoft tablet. And they spent millions promoting the idea that people would want to have tablets and work with them. They promoted it like crazy. And they couldn't sell any of them for years. Apple comes along and must have, must have kind of both uh, gratified Bill Gates because he had the vision and frustrated the heck out of him. Apple comes along in 2010 and they can't keep him in stock. So what's the difference between the iPad and these tablets that everybody had been making for years? Well, for one thing, Apple is using an operating system that was designed from the ground up for a touch interface. Microsoft had grafted touch onto a desktop interface. They're still doing it. If you go and get, and this is what was my recommendation for a caller yesterday who wanted to buy the, uh, the new Acer tablet, which is based on Windows 7. No, we've seen this. You don't want it. You don't want it. You want something designed from the ground up to be touched. That means there are choices. If you don't want Apple, there's there's Android, there's this Honeycomb, and the BlackBerry has this QNX-based BlackBerry playbook. You know, and both of them, the hardware's great. It's very similar to the Apple hardware. But there is a, a kind of hard-to-describe element that's missing. It's a... Just a fluidity and naturalness and intimacy that's just missing that the iPad has down. Now, will companies catch up? Sure. They caught up with the iPhone. Well, almost. They're catching up. <laughs> it took how long? Four years. I don't think it'll take four years in tablets, but it's not going to be this year. It's not going to be this year. And, and uh, I think that the fact that they are beating each other up in Beijing to buy these kind of shows you the success. The lines started four hours before the stores in Beijing and Shanghai opened. They sold out within hours. Um, And we've seen this all over the world. A huge success. And the success of the iPhone continues Uh, according to uh, ZDNet, the Between the Lines column. Larry Dignan writes this column. T-Mobile, which is kind of the kind of fourth cell phone company the one kind of in the in the rear lost 471,000 customers in the fourth, fourth fourth quarter or first quarter january february march almost half a million customers 318,000 the quarter before that 77,000 a year ago That's a lot of people leaving T-Mobile. You know, I use a T-Mobile phone and T-Mobile, I don't think it's a bad company. I think the quality is fine. The service is good. It's. I don't think so much that they're leaving T-Mobile because they don't like T-Mobile. I think they're going to Verizon and AT&T and they're buying iPhones. Verizon activated 2.2 2 million iPhones in the first quarter. And their premier Android phone, just 260,000. AT&T activated 3.6 million iPhones. That's 4.8 million for the quarter. Now, it's still interesting. Google claims 350,000 Android phones are activated every day. That's far more. And everybody agrees that Android, in terms of number of phones in the market will surpass Apple sometime soon. In fact, the Android App Store will be bigger than Apple's App Store probably later this summer. So I think that the iPhone is seeing some real and, uh, and, and genuine competition. And while I do have an iPhone and use it, I prefer my uh, Android. I actually use a, G, a T-Mobile uh, G2X, which is uh, one of the most recent uh, Android phones. One of the reasons I like it is it is a dual-core phone two processors much like the new ipad 2 and there are only a few phones on the market that have two processors the iphone does not and it is noticeably faster snappier you wouldn't think we'd be doing a lot of multitasking on something we carry around in our breast pocket but yes in fact these are these are for many of us our primary computing device now aren't they these phones So speed, amount of memory, variety of applications, all of those ease of use become very, very important. It's not just a phone anymore. In fact, the only negative I I have with these Android phones compared to an iPhone is the battery life. And primarily that's because I can't turn the darn thing off. I spend so much time with that thing on that I can only four or five hours later, I, I can't make a call. Uh, iPhone does have better battery life in general and there are more uh, cases for the iPhone with that add to the battery. Uh, Microsoft's Windows 7 phone the dark horse there somebody's asking me year of Linux in the chat room about that. They we don't know what the sales are. Microsoft even though they uh, had their quarterly earnings uh, report this week did not say how many phones they sold. That's usually a bad sign. So one analyst says a mere 350,000 phones. That doesn't seem right. We're sure it's more I'm pretty sure it's more than that. And with the deal that they've made with Nokia, Nokia is going to start making phones with Windows Phone built into it. I think the Windows Phone operating system is actually pretty darn good. So I do think that that, uh, unlike a Microsoft Windows 7 based tablet, I think a Windows Phone 7 is a pretty compelling phone. Especially for people moving to their first smartphone. But unfortunately, hardly any apps. And don't you buy these phones for what you can do with the apps, really? It's interesting to watch this happen because it's very much what happened in the uh, desktop market, too. It's just that these are it's like the desktop wars of the 90s all over again. Apple's got a lead, but Microsoft's coming on strong. And look out. Here comes Google, too. Use your phone, whatever phone you've got to call. 8888-ASK-LEO. We'll take your calls next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Laporte, the tech guy. Happy Mother's Day to y'all. I forgot to say that. Yes, I call mom. Of course I did this morning. Happy Mother's Day, mom. Call my wife too. Said happy Mother's Day to her. She's back east. <laughs> you didn't have to call her. I didn't have to call her in the house. She's back east <laughs> visiting our daughter. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the audience today. Couldn't do it without you, that's for sure. Uh, Let's get to the phones, 8888-ASK-LEOS-THE-NUMBER. You know, if you don't, and Dr. Mom in the chat room, who's also obviously a mom, happy Mother's Day to you too. If you don't uh, know the phone number, best thing to do is remember the website, techguylabs.com, because that has not only has the phone number on it, but it also has our chat room link, uh, links to all the shows we've done. This is episode 768. Uh, audio from all of those shows too. So if you want to hear what people were talking about <laughs> computing, going back to 2004, you can 80, we probably, uh, who knows what we were to probably talk about Microsoft tablet PCs. <laughs> who knows what we were talking about? 8888 ask Leo. That's the phone number. Now, Gail in Los Angeles, you're first on the uh, line today. Hi, Gail. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Welcome. Oh,
1: good! You know I'm a computer semi illiterate, but I do have a question. I just replaced a Dell dual drive tower and a mac twenty seven inch with all the highest power and memory is coming, so my question is what if-
0: did you just did you just get it so you got the brand new mac?
1: Yes, well, it's coming in six weeks. I just ordered it yeah.
0: You just, so you, that's good. Your timing couldn't have been better. It just, it just came out this, uh, this Tuesday. Oh, so that's the best
1: thing I could have gotten,
0: right? It is. And that's why, by the way, it's delayed. It, it, did you get, you must've added, uh, you, something or maybe even put an SSD in there because, uh, they are shipping immediately unless you do something custom. I
1: did everything custom. The highest, <laughs> the highest. Top
0: of the line all the way. You spent some dough. Well, you'll be, believe me, Gail, you'll be blown away. This thing is spectacular. Oh,
1: good. And it's good for gaming,
0: too. Well, yes, uh, uh, with some caveats, because gaming is uh, still very much a PC uh, pursuit. A lot of games, a lot of game companies write their games for PCs first. That's starting to change. One of the first things you'll do is sign up for Steam. Uh, and Steam is a gaming marketplace uh, that's run by a company called Valve, and the good news about Steam is uh, steampowered.com is that more and more games are being released simultaneously. Portal 2 is a good example. Simultaneously on both the Mac and the PC. So you, you don't have to feel, we no longer, Mac users no longer have to feel like kind of red-headed stepchildren of the gaming industry. And that's, I think, very good news. What kind of games do you play, Gail?
1: Okay, it would be World of Warcraft and then Dragon Age 2.
0: Yeah, yeah. World of Warcraft will be awesome. Uh, frankly, it's not particularly demanding anyway. Let me see, Dragon Age 2, do they have that on the Mac? I'm trying to check here. Yeah, I play that on uh, on my Xbox 360... Looks like that's Windows only for the moment, but it will only be a matter of time. That is a fun game. I love, I love Dragon Age. Oh, good. But it is not Mac yet, so here's the deal on that. You, have, you can run it, but what you'll need to do is put Windows on your new iMac. Oh, I think it's dollars yeah, good. So here's so you're you're kind of golden. It is certainly the hardware is more than adequate to run Dragon Age two fantastically. I do that. I have a Mac Pro with an i7, very similar chip to what's in yours. Same video that's in yours, and all the games. If I want to run a Windows game, I like for instance, um, I play Starcraft is available on both uh, Mac and Windows, but I, I, I for some reason I, I like it on Windows better. So I play it on Windows, and I turn up all the you know all the textures, everything the very max, and it just sails and it should be the same on your beautiful twenty seven inch imac so if you have windows on it, there's nothing you no game you can't play you've you you know you've spent a lot of money more than you spent on that dell, but that thing should last you quite some time as a very high end machine that's
1: wonderful and yeah I have two hard drives on my tower, one of them still opens and the other doesn't. So they're going to transfer the one hard drive, but the other uh, will I be able to transfer it at
0: all? Yeah, they may just. Uh, it just depends what's wrong with it, you know. Uh, and and so you're going to bring it to the Apple store and have them transfer the data over. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, they'll they'll probably be able to figure out if 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 there's any way to get the data off, they'll figure it out. The it's not it's hard for me. I can't diagnose why you can't open it, but it may merely be a small error on it that could easily be worked around with the proper tools and then all your data will be uh, available. You do back it up though, right Gail?
1: Yes, and I don't have that uh, Carbonite that you suggested yet, but I listen to your show all the time and I'm learning.
0: So Gail, you say you're not so computer literate, but you just bought about the top of the line computer you could get. <laughs> and and it sounds like you you're you're, you're going to have a great time with it.
1: Well, you've given me confidence now that that I will. <laughs>
0: Yes, you bought you bought a beautiful machine. That twenty seven inch display. I like having a big display. I think it makes your it improves your productivity. I don't. I use twenty seven inches at home. Um, while I do use you know uh, when I'm on the road a little eleven inch display. I really like having a big display. It means you can you know have a web browser and your word processor open. It's very easy to have multiple things open. And gaming, of course, is much more realistic the larger the display. So, I think it sounds like you're in uh, you're in good shape.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this, and thank
0: you for taking my call. Gail, great to talk to you. I'm kind of jealous. when they, <laughs> I just bought a Mac Pro a few months ago. I can't really justify getting that new iMac, but they, uh, they did some interesting things. One of the things they did with that new iMac, the one you got particularly, is they put two Thunderbolt ports into it. Now, it's an all-in-one. The iMacs are an all-in-one. That means you already have a display built into it. But you could attach a second twenty seven inch or thirty or in fact you could attach two more displays if you wished onto that but going forward Thunderbolt will also be very useful for very fast hard drives video and other things that is kind of uh uh future proofing in a way when you buy you know you when you buy a computer that is brand new with the latest chip that's what's in this and the latest video card and the latest ports you spend more money, but what you're also doing is saying, "I think I'm going to keep this for longer." Uh, you're 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 future proofing it somewhat. And because Macintoshes in general and the iMac specifically are not really upgradable, you could add memory, but that's about it. Um, you do want to do that, I think. That Thunderbolt means that you can, for instance, get faster hard drives on there. you can uh, you could do stuff in a way, upgrade it externally. So I think that that's a I think that's a good purchase. It's very expensive. You must. She spent probably I'm guessing well over three thousand, probably more, closer to four thousand dollars on that machine, uh, which is probably twice what you'd spend for a comparable PC. If all you were going to do was run Windows, I say I would say probably not uh, the best purchase. But if you want to run Windows and Mac, and you want to run it top of the line. And, and get great support, too. There's nothing you can do better. Leo Laporte, The Tech Guy. of the tech guy show is brought to you by carbonite backup done right back it up get it back with carbonite try it free for two weeks go to carbonite.com use the offer code leo leo laporte the tech guy talking about computers the internet cell phones camcorders mp3 players and as always at this time home theater scott wilkinson is here he's the editor-in-chief of the ultimate av magazine ultimate Columnist at Home Theater Magazine, joins us every week to talk about home theater at this time. Hi, Scott. Hey, Leo. Happy Mother's
2: Day to all you moms out there. Yay.
0: Happy Mother's Day. Yep. So since i are done here, I'm going to head off to uh, brunch with my mom. If you're a good son, uh, you would buy mom a home theater system. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I bought I bought mom some years ago a TV with a built-in DVD player. That's as good as it gets, mom. Right there. <laughs> and well, a Netflix easy. and a Netflix subscription, which I have renewed like a dutiful son every year on her birthday for the last Excellent. four or five Excellent. years. So. Very good. I think that's a good, that's a good thing. She watches, oh, absolutely. she gets to watch movies. It's kind of fun. It gives us something to talk about because uh, she says, well, what should I watch next? So we get to talk <laughs> about movies and that's a lot of fun. What should too. I put in my queue? Yeah, that's kind of fun. And you know, Netflix actually has a nice feature where you can, I don't think it's well known, but you can follow people on Netflix. You can see what they're watching if they let you. Oh really? Oh, I Yeah, there's a that. kind of a Twitter like f- uh, social feature, hmm. uh, which is, uh, un- you know, unknown to me. So hmm. Cool. Uh, Anyway, welcome. What can we talk about today?
2: Thank you. Um, I actually got an email on my new uh, questioning uh, email, which everyone can send to me at scott at techguylabs.com. I've got a new account that is working a lot better than the old one. And I got one from uh, Frank Ireland in uh, Florida, who had actually called you a couple weeks ago asking about Roku, Roku XDS. He has this Roku XDX box, XDS box, which is their highest end box. And he's got an older Philips rear projection TV, and he was confused about the connections that uh, that you can make. The TV is older. It's, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, something like that. Uh, it's got DVI, which can only accept 1080i input for high definition. It's got two component inputs, one of which can accept uh, 1080i or 480p which is standard definition progressive, and another one that can only accept 480i. And he said, but I've I've tried to connect my my Roku box, the HDMI out to the DVI input on the TV, which all that requires is just a simple cable, an adapter type cable with HDMI plug on one end, DVI plug on the other end, or HDMI to DVI adapter. Very simple, easy to get. Uh, We were talking about it in the chat room before now. And um, just plug the... HDMI output from the Roku to the DVI input on the TV, it should be fine. But it's not. Why not? Well, apparently the Roku H uh, XDS box can only output 1080p or 720p in high definition. It cannot output 1080i. But the TV cannot accept 1080p or 720p for that matter. So, he's stuck. The only thing he can do is send standard definition to the tv via component uh and and he's stuck with that so there's two answers to the question if he wants wants to watch high definition one is to get a new tv and i really do recommend that i mean yes it's expensive but uh you're you're gonna have a much better experience this uh, Philips tv is old uh it's a crt even tv i think which uh you know is uh Pretty old technology, and it's probably seen its better days. So, you know, that's what I would recommend. Um, otherwise, you might trade in the Roku. I must admit, I don't know if the lesser Roku boxes will output 1080i. But you know, that's This is
0: puzzling he- to me, because when the Rokus came out at first, they were not 1080p. They were 720p and 1080i. Yes. And the 1080p was an upgrade that they had offered. Um. Well, now, and now I'm looking on the on the site, and they say 1080p for both the XD and the XDS. Mm. Um, what about the very basic?
2: Roku, the basic the does
0: not have 1080p. So I don't know if that means it's 1080i or only 720p. Mm. If um, it's only 720p, so you're saying his TV can only handle that one input, 1080i.
2: That's correct. Interesting. That's correct. And uh, again, because it's so old, that's rare. It is rare.
0: You it wouldn't get rare. an HD TV today that had that limit
2: no in fact i when i looked up i think you should just get a new tv i do too that's my first recommendation i looked up the manual of that tv and it was talking about the dvi input and how dvi is this brand new thing right and it's not quite standardized yet so you might have some trouble and i'm just going well yeah that's it's not a brand new thing anymore in fact it's old right now uh so yeah my first recommendation is to, to upgrade your
0: TV. I would think that the component out of the Roku would be 1080i, but I but I don't know.
2: I would think so, too, but apparently not. It doesn't work. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Sadly not.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. All of these 720 IP, all this stuff, I think is very confusing to people. Just it, yeah. it kind of briefly, television in the first 50 years was all interlaced because they didn't I, think TVs had the capability of playing back... Uh, uh, the bandwidth that that that, it, that they could put out. So what they sent out, and in fact, you, if you watch standard defi- definition television, even to this day, they're putting out what they call sixty fields per second. Mm-hmm. And what it is is it's thirty times two. The first thirty is half the screen. Is the right. I guess the odd uh, lines, the
2: odd numbered lines, and typically. the
0: second thirty is the even number lines. So right. every second they'll get thirty of you know complete screens, but it'll be composed of half and half. Right. And so that's interlaced. And it looks terrible if you watch it on a standard uh, computer screen or high def TV because they're progressive. They expect 30 frames a second of everything. Right. Or 60 frames a second or 60 of everything. Well, well, they'll double if if they do 60. But uh, they don't expect this interlacing when they show interlacing uh, action looks terrible. You can actually see these kind of weird lines,
2: weird, jaggy, jaggy lines. Now, it depends upon the TV's processor, how well it deinterlaces an interlaced signal. Now, when you're watching broadcast TV, broadcast high definition TV, that's what you're seeing. You're what's coming in. Is 1080i, 1080 lines interlaced. In most means, cases.
0: I think some people are doing P, but you're right. In most cases, it's I. Uh, well, uh, uh, no, now, broadcast, you're right. But if it's on cable, you don't know what you're getting.
2: Well, yeah. And even on broadcast, uh, most channels are broadcasting at 1080i. Right. A few, like ABC and ESPN and Fox, I believe, are broadcasting at 720p, which right. means 720 lines top to bottom, all in one pass. As opposed right. to ten eighty i which is ten hundred uh, thousand eighty lines the first uh, the odd numbered ones first five hundred and forty lines of the odd line number one three five seven so on, and followed by the even numbered lines two four six eight and so on this is called Temporal compression. It only requires half the bandwidth to transmit a signal because you're only sending half the signal at a time.
0: I remember uh, only two years ago, we started doing a podcast, a video podcast called Mac Break, and uh, Alex Lindsay, my crazy partner, mm-hmm. bought from Lucasfilm a very expensive camera that did 1080p, and we made it in 1080p. The only problem with that is no one could watch it
3: because <laughs> it takes so
0: much process or you you know in in a few years ago nobody had a computer that was capable of watching it
2: that was Um, a 1080p at 24 frames per second no it was 30 frames
0: 1080p okay that's a very high bandwidth. it's a lot of data and so that's where all of this interlacing as you say it's it's a form of compression called temporal compression where we only send you half the picture at a time and then your tv puts it together or actually your eye puts it together?
2: Well, your TV actually, modern TVs put it together. They have a video processor inside that de-interlaces. Right. If they get an interlace signal in, they de-interlace it. And one of the things we test for in our TV reviews is how well the tv's processor does that de-interlacing very so,
0: important because if you get really uh, if you want to watch standard definition on an hd tv you <laughs> have to handle it
2: that's exactly right scott's
0: the guy email him scott at tech and read him on ultimateavmag.com. com. scott thanks for joining us
2: thanks so much
0: Laporte, the tech guy Scott also does a, a great podcast, which I always forget to plug, called Home Theater Geeks, and uh, you can you can get that podcast on my podcast network. That's probably why I forget to plug it. It seems so self serving. Twit.tv/slash H T G for home theater geeks. And uh, that's where you can subscribe to it. He does it live uh, every Monday uh, afternoon, one 30 Pacific four thirty Eastern at live. Dot. Dot. TV. That's uh, that's the live video stream that we send out so that people can watch it live. And uh, tomorrow he's going to be talking to John Iverson, who is the web monkey for ultimate AV magazine. And they'll be debating streaming movies versus physical media. You know, it doesn't seem to me like, uh, I mean, there's a, there's pros and cons on both sides. It doesn't seem like there's, it's an either-or situation. I think there's nothing better looking if you've got a great TV than a Blu-ray disc of your favorite movie. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, on the other hand, the convenience of being able to get these movies and streaming is, is fantastic. I watch uh, streaming all the time on uh, Roku. I'm a big Roku fan on my big screen TV. In fact, I was watching last night. Uh, I just love uh, the ability to get a movie the minute I want it, whenever I think of it. And so that's a huge, I think, a huge advantage to streaming. Movie industry likes streaming because it's harder to pirate. Give me a disc and I can steal it. But uh, streams, especially if it's coming through a a separate device like a Blu-ray player or a Roku box, very difficult to capture. Very difficult. Now, the movie industry is going square, smack dab in the face of the internet service providers, who now are offering such draconian bandwidth caps that, that there's some question whether you'll be able to watch movies much longer. 56% of Americans now have a internet data caps. That's because AT&T turned their caps on this week. So Comcast allows you 250 gigabytes a month. Um, AT&T... On their DSL, 150 gigabytes a month. On UVerse, 250. Now, that seems like a lot. In fact, Comcast says, oh, don't worry. They say 99% of Comcast customers use significantly less than 250 gigabytes a month. Significantly less. But I have to point out, that's because we're only just now at the beginning of the streaming era. And if you watch a movie every night, in high def, if you listen to internet radio or worse, watch internet video every day, if you download music, games, podcasts, pretty soon that cap's not going to seem like so much. And as somebody who makes his living (laughs) offering downloadable media, I'm a little worried. Yes, I am. If you watched uh, Twit Live, which is a live stream I talked about, live.twit.tv, if you watch that eight hours a day, as many people do, for instance, CNN, they just have it on in the background, you'd hit those bandwidth caps pretty quick. So it's not, uh, it seems like a lot, it's not. It's only a lot now, it's only uh, more than most people use now because most people are still just getting email and surfing the web. And of course... I have to think that this is what AT&T and Comcast, when they gather together in their secret boardrooms, are talking about. Yes, we can't allow them to continue to stream video. They'll put us out of business. How can we stop that, Smithers? Well, I think if you put a cap on it, to keep them from doing that. Excellent. It's pretty obvious what they're up to. They're smart, though. They're doing it now before anybody notices. And then a year from now, when you say, oh, I'd like to watch more movies on Netflix instead of paying for an expensive Comcast subscription. Or, oh, I'd like to use HBO Go and pay HBO directly instead of Comcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Calm down. Uh, John in Walla Walla, Washington. John Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yes, Leo.
4: I wanted to say that that probably the one gift you give your mother every day of the year is is unlimited tech support, and that's probably worth.
0: <laughs> oh, if only that were true. <laughs> Poor mom, she has to beg me for tech support. <laughs> I say, I say, uh, oh mom, I'd love to talk to you, but I don't want to walk through computer problems with you today. <laughs> It's the Cobbler's Kids Have No Shoes. You know that. Yes, yes. But I'll help any mom on the radio show.
4: So, so, so many questions, so little Leo. Yeah. <laughs> my
0: prop- no, I, try, I do try to help her. And mom is pretty, you know, well, the nice thing is mom is very technically literate. She has an iMac. She has a MacBook. Uh, she has an iPad. She has an iPod. And uh, she uses them all. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sure. So what can my- I do for you? Happy Mother's Day, John.
4: Thank you, thank you. Happy Mother's Day to you.
0: I don't know why us guys are saying Happy Mother's Day, but everybody has a mother.
4: No, but but everybody's been doing it.
0: (laughs) Okay, what can I do for you?
4: My problem is kind of, well, I think it's complex. Uh, I had a power outage, and when I got back to the computer, I lost all my icons on my desktop. Uh Uh-oh. And I can't figure out a way to get them back.
0: <clears throat> Does the computer operate in other respects uh, normally, or is it uh, is it only feel like it's uh, halfway there? Did it lose its mind?
4: Well, it didn't lose everything. It still has the list. If I go into Start menu and and get all programs, I can find the programs and manually pull down menus and and get to programs that way. And do they
0: when you do that? Do they run? Yes. Okay. We'll so um, it sounds. Uh, it's hard for me to uh, be sure, but it sounds like you either are logged into the wrong account, or sometimes if the profile gets messed up, uh, Windows will create a generic account and log you into that. Are you logged in as yourself when you click the Start menu? Do you see your account name there?
4: Well, I couldn't tell you that for sure. I. I, I'm the only one on the computer, so i I be admitted. Yeah, but
0: Windows, if it had a problem... see, Okay, here's the deal. A, a sudden outage like that can be problematic if Windows or the computer was writing to the hard drive and in the middle of the right the power goes out. It will spew bad data across some portion of that drive. That can absolutely cause a problem. It doesn't mean that you've lost everything. In fact, most things will still be okay, but it can cause a problem. It also um, sure. may have, when that happened and it rebooted it may have launched you into a a mode a safe mode or a mode where you're not logged into your own account so um the 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 couple of things to do first of all just to make sure that it just didn't turn off the icons by accident right click on the desktop and you'll see a view item and you want to make sure that you say show desktop icons because there is in fact a setting that turns off the icons Okay. so if it's I mean, I don't know why that would have been flipped, but it could be, you know, again, when it spews data, it's unknown what it'll happen. And maybe it put a one in the uh, high desktop icons uh, entry in the registry just by chance, you know, like a like a perfect shot. It just boom. And that's what happened. But uh, unlikely, that's the only problem you have.
4: Well, I I mistakenly used one of those registry cleaner things that I downloaded. and, And after that now when you turn it off it then it comes back it says system disk is not not available uh replace system disk and press any key
0: yeah it's probably not the registry uh cleaner this is the side effect of the power failure uh-huh. um your hard drive did exactly what i just said which is spewed data as it was writing and it's damaged the drive good news your data is probably all still there most of it anyway Uh, Bad news, you can't boot the the computer. So a couple of things you can do. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, get your Windows handy-dandy Windows install disk. You do have one, don't you? Get your handy-dandy window. If you don't, another another problem entirely. You might have a restore partition. Depends on the manufacturer. Um, Check with your manufacturer to see how they expect you to reinstall. I personally strongly suggest anytime you buy a computer, you get even if you have to pay an extra 50 bucks, you get a Windows install disk with it for times like this. If you have a Windows install disk, the first thing to do is to run it. And as you run it, as if you're installing Windows right before it actually installs, it'll say, whoa, wait a minute. I see you have a copy of Windows on there. Would you like me to repair it? Oh, that'd be a good start. So what that does is it goes through all the Windows system files, looks at them, says oh, that one's missing, that one's damaged, fixes it. That may be enough to fix everything. Chances are it's not, but it's certainly the first thing to do. Uh, if that doesn't fix everything, in other words, if you cannot then boot without the uh, install disc, um, it probably um, again this depends if you're a do-it-yourselfer or not. If if you're not, if you're not, if you're not a tech tech person, bring it in uh, to a good tech person, and they'll know what to do. Uh, what they will probably do is pull that drive out of the machine. First of all, make sure the machine isn't damaged. Sometimes you can have hardware damage from a power failure. Pull your data off the drive, put a new one in, install Windows, restore your data, you'll be good to go. Leo, Or you can do it yourself. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Here, the tech guy, and it's time to talk about computers and the internet, cell phones and camcorders and MP3 players and home theater and Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Did you see the New York Times article about how the big national florist chains are trying to game Google for Mother's Day? If you do a Google search for Mother's Day flowers, Mother's, I'm going to do it right now, Mother's Day flowers. Uh, Of course, you get at the top, you get ads. That's that gray, that kind of, I don't know, beiged out uh, box there. Um, But then, and then I get, I get, I don't know if this is just me, news for Mother's Day Flowers. And then I get the search results. And who are they? 1-800-Flowers, Teleflora, MothersDayCentral.com, Proflowers.com. Now, companies know that these first few hit results are the ones that get the lion's share of the traffic. Of course they do. That is like gold. That is the place you want to be on Google. How do you get there? We've talked about it before. Really, the way Google works is something called PageRank, named after Larry Page, who is currently the CEO of Google and one of its founders. Uh, PageRank is really kind of a simple but brilliant concept that uh, they will rank a page higher in the search results based on how many quality, and that's an important word there. Quality sites link to that page. The theory being, well, how do you kind of without uh, intelligence as a computer, how do you determine whether a page is a good page? Well, you let other humans tell you that. And the way they tell you that is with links. So if techguylabs.com, my website, is linked to by a lot of people because it's valuable or because they want to refer people there, then it will rank more highly when you search for it. The tech guy or something like that. Well, this becomes very important if you're a a retailer. In fact, JCPenney was accused of kind of messing with the page rank algorithm by putting a lot of links or paying for a lot of links to JCPenney's site on other sites. According to the New York Times, an article that came out a couple of days ago. Uh, The big flower companies are trying to game Google in the same way. Internet marketing experts that they consulted at the Times, by the way, these companies deny it, say that Teleflora, FTD, 1-800-Flowers.com, and ProFlowers, but interesting, those are the ones that came up, Uh, are trying to elevate their websites and search results with a strategy that violates Google's guidelines. See, Google doesn't like it if you try to game their search results. In fact, they can punish you very severely. They can lower your rank artificially or even dump you. And if you don't show up in a Google search in the top five or at least in the first page, you don't exist, do you? Google has a lot of power here. The flower companies deny it, but according to the New York Times, all four have links on websites that are riddled with paid links. Many of which include phrases like, quote, Mother's Day flowers, end quote, Mother's Day arrangements, and cheap Mother's Day flowers. Anyone who clicks on these backlinks, as they are known, gets sent to the floral retailer paid for. So they're buying ad mentions. That's not illegal. But uh, mm, certainly none of this is illegal. That's not even against Google's rules. Um, In fact, it's a pretty typical link-buying campaign, according to one expert, The Times Asked. But the question is, are these real ads or are they just trying to get links so that they raise up in the search results? See, apparently some of these links are in websites that have been dead for years. Um, They go around to old blogs, say, hey, for five bucks, you could put, can we put this little link on your page? Google's response None of the links shared by the New York Times had a significant impact on our ratings due to automated systems we have in place to assess the relevance of links. As always, we investigate spam reports and take corrective action where appropriate. It's actually a very interesting cat and mouse game. How much can retailers get away with before Google gets mad and punishes them? Google says it eh, didn't make much difference because we knew what they were up to. It uh, does seem that FTD might have been uh, punished because as I search now, I do not see FTD in the top results. I see 1-800-Flowers. I see Teleflora. The third result is something called Mother's Day Central. Is that F D F T D? I don't I don't think so. It's uh, in fact it doesn't look like it's particularly a, a florist. Um, obviously they sell flowers, or they wouldn't be showing up here. Uh, Pro Flowers is next with two links. Hubpages.com. dot com. I don't see F T D. Oh, there's F T D way down below. Sounds like that's a punishment. That's certainly lower than they were when this article was written. They were number four, according to the New York Times, when this article was written on the uh, 6th. So here we are two days later on Mother's Day. And FTD is a little bit lower. By the way, the result right underneath FTD? The New York Times trying to game Google on Mother's Day flowers. (laughs) The article that exposed all this. So I have to think Google might have responded we may we may never know but this happens all the time it's very interesting it's not illegal i sh- i misspoke when i said it's illegal there's no there's no prosecution that's going to happen here however google wields a lot as we've talked about many times before a lot of power on this and it is it is somewhat unethical since after all these search results google at least attempts to make these search results uh something that is uh reflects the actual interest of real people they want the search results it's in their interest the search results give you the results you want and hope for it's very it's a i think it's just fascinating i don't i don't know what there is to say about it and certainly this is something that goes on all the time behind the scenes hey let me briefly uh talk a little bit about security issues on macintosh so many times Uh, We've talked about the fact that Macs seem to be more secure because they don't have uh, the same number of bad guys going after them. That seems to be changing, unfortunately. Uh, There is a um, kind of a nasty Mac attack going around called Mac Defender, very similar to a similar attack that happens on Windows. You'll go to an infected website. A pop-up will say, hey, you've got a lot of problems on your system. Please download Mac Defender, and it will fix them. And it's not. It's, of course, spyware. Don't. It does require uh, the user's uh, cooperation. So that's a little bit different. And now we're hearing that there's a problem with Skype. Skype 5 on the Macintosh. Uh, if you use Skype on the Mac, this is uh, fairly important. Yesterday, security researchers found a a way that a bad guy can take control of a Macintosh by sending you a message on Skype. So now Skype says, oh no, all it does is crash Skype. But I have to tell you, uh, that's always a bad sign. If, If a guy can send you a message that crashes Skype, it's only a short step from there to taking over your computer, believe it or not. Pure Hacking, which is an Australian security research firm, uh, actually published what they call a proof of concept. You can actually do it to yourself. That's usually a pretty good indicator that this thing works. Um, they they say they will not give specifics on how to do this until Skype fixes it. Skype will release a fix next week. Uh, it will be. Uh, but it will be manual so if you are currently using skype on the mac let me just look on mine i have what version do i have yeah 914 you want 922 so my strong suggestion if using skype for mac update and get that update it's available now leo laporte the tech guy The tech guy. So uh, Skype has made that. We were talking before the break about the uh, issues with Skype on the Mac. People could send a bad guy could send you a uh, message that would actually hack your Mac. That's yeah, nice. Um, the fix is to get the latest version of Skype, which for some reason Skype isn't pushing. Normally when you run Skype, it says there's an update. Would you like it? It doesn't do that right now, but you can update to point nine Skype's got a lot of problems with this version 5 for the Mac. Mac users hate it. It, just, it made it completely impossible to use. They changed the user interface so dramatically, it's it just uh, confusing for everybody. In fact, so much so that Skype still offers the old version 2.8 on their website. And I know a lot of Mac users just said, oh, I don't to keep using 2.8, or after upgrading, say, I'm going to downgrade to 2.8. 2.8 doesn't have the problem. Skype on the iPhone or the iPad doesn't have the problem. It's just Skype on the Mac. Uh, You know, this is one reason people, I think, uh, are turning to iPads, frankly, is it's uh, limited computing, but safe. At least uh, safer than a desktop. In any event, the whole era of Mac owners saying, oh, we don't have to worry, we're safe, is pretty much coming to an end. Same advice to you that I've been giving to Windows users for years. It's very simple, really, protecting yourself. I know many... um, Experts, uh, computer experts who don't run security software now that partly that's because they're experts and they and they kind of want to see what happens if they don't, you know, Uh, but they feel that if they behave properly, security software isn't necessary. And I think that that's an important message, not to not use security software. You should be using it. But. That behavior is the most important thing. And I'll tell you the things you got to do, and it doesn't matter what you're using, Windows, Mac, or even Linux. First of all, very important, turn on operating system updates. They should be automatic. They should happen the minute they're available. Patch Tuesday is coming up this Tuesday for Windows. It won't be a big one, but believe me, if you use Windows, you have to have that automatic update turned on, and you should, by the end of the day Tuesday, have those updates installed. Why? Because bad guys look at them and it's a roadmap for them on how to hack a system. So as soon as they're offered, you better patch. And this is true for Mac and it's true for Linux. The And turn on automatic update. Do, do not turn it off. You can turn it on in such a way that it just notifies you. That's usually how I do it. I say, uh, download in the background and then say, I'm ready to update. And I'll decide when to update. But don't wait too long. Do those updates as quickly as possible. That's the most important thing you can do. Number two in protecting yourself, also equally important, have a firewall. Now, Windows and Mac have software firewalls on the operating system, but truthfully, uh, as good as those are, they're not enough. When you go online, you shouldn't be going online directly. You should be going online through a router. Now, if you're using Wi-Fi, you already are. If you're wired You shouldn't be connected directly to the DSL or cable modem. You should have a little, they're inexpensive. It's the best protection you can buy. Little inexpensive router. Normally you buy them to share internet, but maybe you're just one person. You say, I don't need a router. Yes, please. The reason being, that's the attack surface. That's the thing the bad guy sees. The bad guy out there on the internet, he's coming in through the internet. What's the first thing he sees? Well, if it's your computer attached to the internet, it's your computer. And there's a lot more he can do with that. When The first thing that he sees, the first attack surface, is the router. They're dumb. That's good. The the bad guy hits him with an attack. The the router goes, huh? What? I don't know. Uh, Never mind. It ignores it. It literally discards it. And, in fact, a router that's properly set up won't respond at all. It's called stealthed. My friend Steve Gibson, the security guy, as far as I'm concerned created this concept he said you know in before steve gibson routers would respond you'd come knocking at the door hello i'm i'm your friendly neighborhood uh uh nice guy yeah that's it uh, knocking at the door on port let's say port 113 and the router would say no it's closed go away well you don't really want that response because at the, the 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 hacker goes well at least i know i have a machine on the other end i'm going to keep hitting it what you really want is nothing not nobody here but has chickens, but nothing. Stealth. Hacker comes and knocks at port 113. Silence. Well, as far as the hacker knows, there's nothing there. That's what you want. You don't want to give him any reason to keep attacking. So the hacker goes, eh, nothing there, keep moving. <laughs> the good news is there's plenty of people who aren't listening right now, who have their system sitting right on there, who are responding, who are not in stealth mode. The hacker's got plenty of other people to attack. That's good for you. <laughs> that means he he doesn't have to keep hitting at you. He goes, eh, well, whatever. Moves on. So, number three, have a router or a firewall of some kind attached, actually, it's number two, to your system. Number three is really about you. It's it's understanding that in order for a bad guy to get on your system, he's got to get you to do something. He's got to get you to run some software. Now, there's an exception here, and that's if there's something wrong with the way your system's configured. If if those updates aren't applied, sometimes a hacker can get on your system without you doing anything. But if you've kept the updates, if you've got your firewall on, then the hacker has to convince you to do something, either by sending you, and this is in the case of this Mac Defender, a warning, a pop-up that says, oh, you've got a virus, quick, download and run this program. And if you say, oh my gosh, he always tries to scare you, right? Because then you won't be thinking. Oh, my gosh, I better do something. And you download it and you run it. Well, you just ran the guy's program. You just installed the malware. So be really skeptical. You, I want you to be cynical about stuff that you get on the Internet. Every pop-up, every offer, every file, I want you to think, huh, really? Huh, I don't know about that. Really? No. Nah. Better to say no. No. To a legitimate offer than to say yes to a bad guy even once because i tell you what you get stuff on your system you're going to really rue the day so number three is <laughs> be it be a cynical son of a gun <laughs> say no i don't believe you that's not free stuff there's no pictures of osama bin laden on the internet no i am not going to fall for that i'll tell you a good one see now tell me what you would do if you saw this it happens on your facebook You go you go to your facebook And your best friend posts on your wall saying, oh, boy, I got a video of you last night. You won't believe it's from your best friend. And there's a link and you go, oh, wow, I thought I was homeless. Maybe I did. I. Oh, my goodness. Did I do something? I I better see. So you click that link. You see, you're a little scared. You're a little nervous. And it came from your best friend. What could be wrong with that? And it pulls you to a page. that looks just like YouTube. You don't look at the top of the browser to see that it's not YouTube. It's hacker tube. It looks just like it says it's YouTube and it says, oh, can't play the video. You need to update your flash. Oh, quick. Click that link. Update the flash. Well, that ain't flash. Oh, did you fall for it? Yeah. So that means that your friend's page was Facebook was hacked because he fell for it. And as part of the hack, they send it out to everybody he knows the same thing. Don't fall for it. Be very suspicious about stuff that comes in from even from friends email attachments don't open them you do those three things truthfully you'll be safe it's good number four have a good antivirus or or security tool on there because that'll that'll back you up when you accidentally do click on that link and number five is have a good backup so that (laughs) if you do screw everything up at least you can erase your hard drive and start over good security software good backup those are the five things and mac folks you got to do it too sorry leo laporte the tech guy the tech guy is brought to you by my internet service provider dsl extreme for high speed internet at an amazing price call 866 the number two get net to get dsl extreme leo laporte the tech guy we're talking about security but we're also talking about the fun things the good things the nice things the sweet things that happen on the internet i don't always want to focus on the negatives if you protect yourself then you can move on and and use the internet to change the world uh Larry's on the line from Mill Valley, California, listening on The Great KGO in San Francisco. Hi, Larry. Hi, Leo.
5: Good morning. Good morning. A, um, a minor but annoying problem. I bet you've never heard that before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are, you know, I like that, though, because I have to say, as a computer or a technology user in general, a lot of times we put up with minor problems. It's like, well, it's going to take me a lot of time to figure this out. I'll just live with it. And it's really worth getting it fixed.
5: i with it, so I'm hoping you can figure it out. Okay. Microsoft Outlook, and whenever I boot it up or turn it on, I get a a, um, a reminder popping up that's for a, uh, um, a a credit card payment that has already been made. And when I try to dismiss it or close it, uh, it says cannot turn off the reminder. You may be reminded again, cannot locate reoccurrence information for this appointment. And I've gone through every drop-down menu and even gone online trying to search for it, and I just cannot find a solution. So I'm hoping you or one of your uh, listeners uh, might have one.
0: My brilliant chat moderator, Dan, who does a lot of IT support, says that there is, in fact, a switch. You know, a lot of Windows programs, even though you double-click the icon to launch them, can be launched from a command line, from a, like like a DOS prompt, and often can be launched with switches. So, a couple of things that you might want to try. One is this switch that is. So, what you'll do is, in order, instead of running Outlook as you normally do from the uh, icon, uh huh. You will enter. You'll click Start, and you'll click Run, or type Run. Uh, uh, click Run on your Start menu. So, Start Run, and that'll give you a little uh, command prompt.
5: Correct. Like the old DOS days.
0: Yeah, it is, in fact. And now the command for Outlook is Outlook.exe. Okay. Uh, and then you'll use a switch. And I'm, I'm actually, there's a number of switches. I'm actually on a Microsoft Office page called Command Line Switches for Outlook 2010. And there are, believe it or not, a bunch of switches. Those are Those are things that you, so you type Outlook.exe space and then a slash. And then you could do a switch. So uh, this allows you to do basically uh, command line running of uh, of Outlook, and there's one that Dan says will really help you, which is it's slash clean reminders, all one word. Okay, clean reminders, all one word. Now that will basically or uh, not is it clean or clear? I'm sorry. No, it is clean. It's funny, it should be clear, but it's Clean okay. Reminders. What that does is it it resets all the reminders and should clear that one.
5: And should I, is it is it a situation where I click on it or do I have to say Run Clean Reminders?
0: So you'll click Start, Run, you'll get that run box, you'll type Outlook.exe, and if it's in your path, you shouldn't have to type more. Okay. Outlook.exe space slash Clean Reminders and hit Enter. That's it. What will happen is it will run Outlook. You shouldn't see that pop up again.
5: I love it. I hope it works. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Now, a couple of little extra features, and I'm going to put the link to this uh, command line switch article because it covers this. A couple of extra things. One is Outlook, if it's not in your path, you might have to enter c colon backslash program files backslash Microsoft Office backslash Office 14 backslash (laughs) Outlook.exe. In other words, you'll have to tell it the whole location of Outlook if it doesn't run otherwise there's one other thing that might be of use um if this if it clears it the first time but it doesn't clear it every time you can actually create an icon that has this switch in it every time you can create an alias a shortcut that would do this each time okay um but at least that's the first thing to try but i'll put a link in here to the other command line switches it's actually kind of cool james deruvo writes our show notes uh, we'll, we'll have it. And, um, it's in the chat room, James, and he will put it at tech guy com. There are other, uh, utilities. There's a fix it utility that scans your PST. That's your Outlook file and, and may find inconsistencies. Couldn't be an error in the, um, outlook file. Um, so that's, that's something else that could be, uh, of use to you. I'm not sure, uh, where you get that um just going through here scan so start run and then just enter scan s-c-a-n-p-s-t dot exe and hit return that's not a bad thing to do every once in a while a couple of things you can try anyway i hope that works for you let me know larry if it doesn't we'll go to plan b hey before i get to kim she's calling from irvine and uh is having trouble Playing Netflix movies, I'd love to help that, because that's such a nice thing. Uh, But first, I think it's a bandwidth issue, but first, let's talk a little bit about, since we were talking about viruses and protection. You know, item, what is it, four on my list of five must-do security things is have a good security program running. Used to be Mac people, you didn't have to do this. Mm, I want to think about it. Uh, The folks who make Nod32 for Windows... ESET.com. Also, make a great program for Mac. I used to say you don't need this, and eh, times are changing. It's called Cybersecurity for the Mac. Now, if you're in the US, you can get this for free for 30 days at at ESET.com slash Mac. If you're using Windows, ESET.com slash Leo. Or you can call either way, 866 935 ESET. And you could try these. Security programs. I don't even want to call them an antivirus. These security programs for free, Mac or Windows. One of the things I really like about cybersecurity for the Mac, and I hope they start doing this uh, on the Windows side too, is it has a whole education component. That is the stuff I was just talking about. And if you're getting this for family or friends, I know most of you, I don't have to tell you what to do or get Nod32, because if you listen to this show, you know. But if you're talking to family or friends, and maybe it's somebody who's not a real computer whiz, This educational component is such a good idea. So, uh, Nod32 for Windows. Cybersecurity for the Mac. Both from ESET. ESET.com slash Leo for Windows. ESET.com slash Mac for Mac. And don't forget to follow them on Facebook. Facebook.com slash ESETUSA. Uh, If you follow them on Windows, uh, I mean, on Facebook, they have a... You know, little bonus programs and and fun stuff. It's worth it's worth following them. And also a free trial. Just like them. I press you go to ESE let's see, Facebook.com slash E S E T U S A, press like, and you'll be in with all of that stuff. Free free trials there as well. If you use Windows or Mac, you need ESET, believe me. Kim is on the line, all the way from Irvine, California, listening to the great KFI. Hi, Kim, Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
6: Hey, good morning, Leo. Uh, general-
0: oh, I'm sorry I called you a girl, Kim. It's probably not the first time somebody did that to you. Uh,
6: I tried Ken. To get your screener, but
0: <laughs> this- Ken. Hi, Ken. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. What can I do for you?
6: Well, I I uh, just bought a uh, Sony uh, media player N100 and, Okay. Uh, I'm running it on an uh, Ethernet feed out of my uh, router. Good. And uh, so I figured I'd get the best performance that way.
0: Yeah, when you're streaming the the um, when you're streaming video, you d- it's always better if you can to do it uh, hardwired.
6: Right, um, and, and it, it, I talked to to uh, Sony, and and uh, they they weren't quite uh, helpful on uh, what might be going
0: on. But this is very much like a Roku. It's hundred bucks. It allows you to do Netflix, uh, Hulu Plus, YouTube. I haven't played with this. It's actually an interesting product. Pandora.
6: Yeah, you know, it seemed like like a nice, clean box. But what happens is in the evening when uh, we've got uh, all kinds of uh, uh, traffic on Cox here, the uh, download speeds uh, drop significantly. Yep.
0: Yep. I- this is a problem uh, with the way cable internet works. I'll talk about it when we come back. Probably not a lot you could do about it, Ken. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy 8888 ask leo episode 768 you can find notes answers to questions links that i mentioned all on our website techguylabs.com while you're there visit our chat room 800 people in there today all gassing away they're actually uh, they're actually great they're kind of, i consider them my my brains they answer the questions that I can't answer. 8888 ask Leo. So you're not just asking me, you're asking a vast army of geeks. Rick, oh, I was going to say something to Kim about the media player. Uh and and particularly about his internet bandwidth, Ken, not Kim. About his internet bandwidth. Um the way cable modems work Is the bandwidth is brought to the head end. There's a certain amount of bandwidth the cable company brings to the head end. This is actually the same way cell phones work. If you just replace the word head end with cell tower. So there's a certain amount of bandwidth there. And then from the head end, it's split out to all the people in a neighborhood. So the pipe gets saturated locally. DSL is a little different. The, the pipe gets saturated back at the central office. It's in fact easier for them to throw more bandwidth at it because it's the central office. In order for the cable company to put more bandwidth into your setup, they'd have to bring more bandwidth to the head end, which is a box somewhere in your neighborhood. It's the box all of the cable connections in your neighborhood go to. So it's a choke point. And it really is dependent on implementation some cable companies put more than enough bandwidth in there so if everybody in the neighborhoods looking at Netflix all at the same time no big deal but Kim it sounds like in your neighborhood Cox did not put enough bandwidth or they may be attached more people to that head end than they should have instead of 200 it's 2000 Or instead of 2,000, it's 20,000. You know, if there's a lot of people on the head end and you happen to live in a neighborhood where a lot of people are using the cable Internet at the same time, that's why you see it gets bad at night, doesn't it? There was a a study published recently that said about 40% of all Internet primetime traffic is is streaming Netflix. (laughs) It's how popular it is. And you know that that's scaring the cable companies like crazy because when you're watching Netflix, you aren't watching their premium cable television service. So there's not a lot of incentive for Cox to add bandwidth, is there? What they'd really like you to do is instead of, darn you, instead of watching movies on Netflix, darn you, for which you pay, you know, by, you know, you pay a wholesale rate for the bits. We'd sure prefer it if you subscribe to HBO and watch your movies there. We make a heck of a lot more money, don't we? And this is part of, you know, we talked about bandwidth caps a couple of hours ago. This is kind of the same conversation Cable companies are disincented to give you enough bandwidth to watch Netflix at night. They don't want you to. How much do they charge you for your internet access? 50 bucks a month? That's it. And you can watch all that TV for 50 bucks a month instead of paying more than 100 bucks a month for uh, television and premium channels and all that stuff. It's not in their interest. So I think what's happening, and you should complain to Cox and your neighbors should complain to Cox, is they didn't put enough bandwidth into your neighborhood. They didn't plan for the fact that uh, people would all be watching Netflix at the same hour every night. And as a result, you're not getting very good service. Now, the funny thing about Netflix is they have a variety of different streams. They are, uh, I'm not sure how this Sony box works, but on the Roku and uh, on the web, Netflix senses how much speed you have. And will actually give you a worse picture as you get in this situation. They, their goal is to give you at least a stable picture. Maybe not the highest quality, but a stable picture. And in fact, uh, we finally found out, thanks to a Netflix blog post, how much bandwidth Netflix uses. And it's really quite variable depending uh, on uh, you know what quality video you're watching. In Canada, you know, the Canadian ISPs uh, announced very significant bandwidth caps, I think 50 gigs a month. So Netflix response, they lowered the quality of the video. That, you know, that's, that's how they would respond or should respond to your situation. Just lower the quality of the video. And if your Sony box is working properly, it'll send back information to Netflix saying, I got a buffer. I got a buffer. I can't keep up. And Netflix should start sending you uh, a lower quality signal. They can send a signal that is uh, anywhere from I can't I can't remember exactly I think 250 kilobits up to two gigabytes an hour. <laughs> so if you if you have the bandwidth, Netflix will send you high def, really high quality. Uh, if you don't have the bandwidth, it should degrade the picture but still send you something. Uh, I'm trying to find this blog post. Netflix for a long time kept this uh, a secret. Netflix ranges from 0.3 gigabytes an hour to two gigabytes an hour it's pretty big range 0.3 gigabytes an hour to two gigabytes an hour by the way if you use two gigabytes an hour and you have a 150 gigabyte cap as AT&T users do 75 hours of television a month that's uh, it's like two and a half hours a day That's not so good and that's, that would be everything. But these caps also include upload as well as download. So if you're uploading content, even worse. It eats up, uh, the, con- eats up the bandwidth very quickly. So I think this is the problem, Kim. If, if I mean, you've noticed the most important point, which is it gets bad every night. Well, that's when all your neighbors are watching. <sighs> um, this is why bandwidth caps are bad. This is why cable companies don't have your best interests in heart. This is why the conversation's going on about Net neutrality. It's why Internet advocates and uh, the U.S. government have been making noise about legislating or using the FCC to enforce net neutrality. To keep companies that provide you with Internet service from discriminating against certain kinds of providers. Unfortunately, the Republican House and the Senate is expected to follow suit. uh, Just a couple of weeks ago told the FCC they may not enforce that. It is not in their purview. That's too bad. Now, I know there's a debate over whether government should be involved in regulating the Internet. I understand that's a bad idea for a lot of reasons. But government, FCC, did create this problem by giving um, the cable company and the phone company essentially a duopoly in your area. Who can you get Internet service from? Cable company and the phone company. Is that true competition? I don't think so. So if you are philosophically opposed to government intervention, I understand. Uh, if you're a free marketeer, you probably say, well, that's why, you know, in a free market competition would solve this. It would. The problem is there isn't competition. So if you don't want the government, and I understand you don't want the government, the FCC to regulate the Internet, then why don't we suggest the government make it a level playing field, encourage competition? If you had, I promise you Ken, <laughs> I'll get your name right. If you had, can 10 internet service providers available to you, and Cox didn't work with Netflix, and you went to the guy that did, that'd solve the problem. The problem is there's only two, and they just say both of them, have neither of them have an interest in letting you watch Netflix at night. It's against their better interests. So they just say, uh, ah, we're not going to give him more bandwidth. He's got plenty of bandwidth. What does he want? He's got email and the internet. He's got the, he's got the web pages. What more do you want? Competition solves this. So maybe that's what we need the FCC and the federal government to do, to make it possible for others to provide Internet access. Open up the cable lines, for instance, to Internet service providers. You only can, you know, the the, the cable companies are protected by the FCC. Only the cable company can give you Internet over your cable. Let's change that. Let's get 10, 20 providers. Maybe your city government should uh, put in one more line in there and open that to competition. Just as they have a gas line and a water line to your house, maybe they should have an internet line to your house. I don't think that local government should provide internet access, but what if they put the line in and then said, let's get 10 different companies using that? I think that would solve the problem because there's always going to be one guy, one renegade who says, I won't limit you. Do what you want. I want you to watch Netflix. That's good for me. That's good for my business. All right, I want to remind you before we get back to uh, the calls, I want to remind you about backing up because we got to do that every Sunday. you got to back up. You know that. You hear these calls and people have lost everything. Precious wedding photos, baby photos, financial records, music, video, stuff that they thought was safe on the hard drive. It's not. Every hard drive dies. That's why I tell you to use Carbonite. Carbonite online backup. It's got everything you need. It's automatic. It backs it up to the Internet. So when the worst happens, disaster or human error Or a dead hard drive, you can get it back. In fact, you don't have to wait till then because anytime you go and log into your Carbonite account on any computer or any smartphone, there your data is ready for you. So it's online storage, online backup, and it's less than five bucks a month. Unlimited. You got to try it. Go to Carbonite.com, use my name Leo for two weeks free if you decide to buy two months added to your 12 month subscription. Carbonite.com, you got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with carbonite 8888 ask Leo that's my phone number I'd love to hear from you 888 827 we go back to the phones I'm going to stop talking your turn next Leo Laporte the tech guy day to you leo laporte here the tech guy and it's time to talk about digital stuff computers the internet your cell phone your uh, home theater system 8888 ask leo that's the phone number 888-827-5536 888 ask leo toll free from anywhere in the u.s outside of the u.s Uh, Just use Skype out and you can call that number. And I I gather that it's uh, free for Skype out to call a toll-free number in the U.S. So It won't cost you anything. We do get calls from all over. We had a call from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland uh, yesterday. I'm really intrigued by this article uh, in Fortune magazine this month by Adam Lashinsky. It's a feature in the new issue that just came out. In fact, uh, I think I'll buy it on the iPad because it's five bucks on the iPad. Uh, Inside Apple. Lashinsky broke through the curtain of secrecy that surrounds Apple computer. Interviewed many Apple employees, of course, uh, on the QT, because that's a sure way to get fired. is talking talking to the press about Apple. I mean, fired, not censured, not yelled at fired. Uh, one of, and he tells many anecdotes about how Apple runs. It is really um, Steve's dictatorship. And I think that's not a surprise. Everybody who, who pays attention to Apple understands that Steve Jobs runs it, rules it with an iron fist. And that everything from the food in the cafeteria to the make of the T-shirts in the Apple store is approved directly by Steve Jobs. That's it. In fact, he says that uh, the training uh, uh, to be an Apple executive really involves preparing to present to Steve. He says the creative process at Apple is one of constantly preparing someone, be it one's boss, one's boss's boss or oneself, for a presentation to jobs. He's a corporate dictator. Who makes every critical decision and oodles of seemingly non-critical calls too, from the design of the shuttle buses that ferry employees to and from San Francisco to what food will be served in the cafeteria. The the story that's really making the rounds is the behind the scenes of the collapse, the failure, the flop that was Mobile Me. I don't know if you remember when Apple released Mobile Me uh, some time ago. <laughs> It was a couple of years ago. Um, they replaced their uh, iDisk service with a more grandiose service that had an email and you store photos. And, and and Apple charges for this 100 bucks for a year of MobileMe service. But when it was launched, it was slow. It was down. A lot of the press panned it saying it's not ready for public release. According to Lashinsky, Jobs summoned the entire MobileMe team for a meeting at the company's on-campus town hall, accusing people of, quote, tarnishing Apple's reputation. He told the members of the team that they should, quote, hate each other for having let each other down and went on to name new executives on the spot to run the team. You're out of here, he said. Can anyone tell me what MobileMe is supposed to do? Jobs asked, having received an answer, the correct answer, I guess, he says, so why the blankety blank doesn't it do it? This I thought was interesting. He's talking about Walt Mossberg, who writes for The Wall Street Journal, ostensibly an independent reporter, although I have to say he sure loves Apple. He says, Mossberg, our friend, is no longer writing good things about us. (laughs) Well, that's when you know something's a problem. (laughs) When your tame journalist stops writing good things, oh boy, this must be bad. I can't wait to read this article. I haven't uh, downloaded it yet, but uh, the stories are starting to come out from it. Pretty incredible. St- Jobs is apparently has authorized a, a biography that will be uh, written and published next year. But you kind of figure if Jobs is approving it, <laughs> it's not going to be exactly uh, unflattering, is it? Wouldn't you like to hear the real story? I guess I'm not alone. This is uh, this is going to sell a lot of copies of Fortune, Fortune magazine. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Uh, Ask Leo. Let's get back to the phones. And uh, Rick from Long Beach is our next caller. Hi, Rick. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
7: Hey, Leo. Hey, uh, any chance we're going to three by five
0: cards uh, anytime soon? Ha! Yes, the future is paper, my friend. Paper is, you know, it's funny though because uh, uh, for a long time uh, uh, everybody agreed that technology, computers, would replace office. Remember, we used to talk about the paperless office. I don't see any evidence of that.
7: Doesn't work. As a matter of fact, they tried that in uh, you know the court process and paralegals and faxing stuff over and uh, it's that case after case. You know, it's ruled that it doesn't, it's not applicable.
0: Isn't that funny? I'm not sure why we're just, I think we like physical, the physicality of paper. Somebody, some wag once said, the paperless office has about as much future as the paperless bathroom.
7: (laughs) Okay, well, you know.
0: (laughs) Although we're working on that too, aren't we? What can I do for you today?
7: Well, okay, I have a screaming, state-of-the-art, beautiful computer from 10 years ago. <laughs> so I'll give wow, you an idea. There you go.
0: There's your problem right there. Go ahead.
7: I Actually, I got a, a Dell XPS with Windows XP, and I actually had to wait like six weeks for XP to come out. So whenever XP came out is when I got my computer from Dell. And, That's about
0: right. 10 years ago. That's about right, yeah.
7: Yeah, And I uh, the motherboard is the same motherboard. And over the years, you know, I've had, uh, through the office, competent uh, legal tech people replace this or that, maybe a drive. You know, I've replaced my hard drive. I have two hard drives. I have a C drive, which is about a 350 uh, gigabyte when that was the highest you could get. I have two of them. And one, I put my, op- my operating system and my programs. And then what I call my Z drive, I have all my info. And I backed my info up to a uh, um, to Carbonite. So, and I did have it the same thing that your that your previous caller said, where all my icons on my desktop disappeared. I have no idea why, and I just went to Carbonite and put them right back on. It was amazing. But here's a problem I'm having right now. My computer started slowing down when I would boot up. Um, it would get slower and slower and slower. Um, it would boot up into what looked like the old DOS, and then the cursor flickers, and then um, I now have to ask me, um, no matter how I shut down my computer properly or not, it says Windows has not started properly. Yeah,
0: your hard drive's gone bad. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Kay. Are you surprised? Ten years?
7: <laughs> hard drive, I... actually, I, re- I replaced when the th- whenever 350 was the highest you could get. As a matter of fact, I even stock 350. I went... Well, you know what, CompUSA. So they've been gone for five years.
0: Com, yeah, if you bought it at CompUSA, it's been a while. Um, yeah, the hard drive's gone bad. The, it, what? It, it's not dead, but it's dying. Okay. And so, as as the hard drive um, uh, has more difficulty reading parts of itself, it'll slow it down. And that's pretty much commensurate with what you're saying. You're getting that check disk uh, error uh, on boot. Um, my my advice to you and but you know, you could get for what you paid for that three fifty, you can get a two terabyte now.
7: Yeah. I would... Well, I did. You know what? I did take it one time. It, it seemed to boot up, and I went through the process, and then it didn't light up. You know, my screen was like blank. So I, I got scared. I went to the Geek Squad at Best Buy. They they hooked it into their system. And boot it booted up properly, and they said, "Well, maybe your graphics card. We don't
0: know." No, no, it's your hard drive. You jiggled it around. It worked for a moment. Okay. It's a hard drive is almost certainly the hard drive is bad. Uh, I would that be the first thing I'd replace. The good news is it's not an expensive thing to replace. Although a 10-year-old computer, there's going to be a lot of other reasons why it's slow, including the amount of memory, the processor itself, which is probably a Pentium 4, uh, the operating system. You could probably get a computer that would be, oh, on the order of 10 times faster for well under 1000 bucks right now. I think this might be the time. This might be a sign. Your computer is senile. Uh, arth- 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 sclerosis of the hard drive. Time to get a new one. Leo Laporte, The Tech Guy. The Tech Guy, 88, 88, ask Leo. Talking about computers, cell phones, the internet, home theater, and whatever's on your mind, like Glenn from Southern California. Hi, Glenn, you're next, Leo Laporte.
8: Hey, Leo, how you doing?
0: I'm well, how are you?
8: I'm okay, I'm the guy who called in about the iPad, iPod thing a little while ago, but... I bought an iPod, which I'm going to give to my son. I can't see it. I'm 50, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're too old for an iPod. Get an iPad! Yeah, it's a, it's a little too small. Yeah, But
8: I'm having a problem. I went out and bought Windows 7 because I went to Best Buy and got a new computer like two years ago. And I said, give me the best thing you got here. And I upgraded a screen and the printer and everything. And it was Vista, which is horrible. So I went out and bought Windows Seven, and it's been sitting in my house for two weeks.
0: <laughs> so do you, um do you first, fear to install it?
8: Oh, you know, the first thing it says is back up your files. I have no idea how to back up my files
0: have you put have you done a lot of work on that new computer, or is it uh
8: well, my wife pays all the bills on it, you know, my son looks up his schoolwork, you know he's. oh seven, I think
0: yeah, you better back up those files. We don't want to make Mom unhappy here um so-
8: can you help me out here? I'm going to go buy yeah. an iPad, too, but help me out Hold with this. A
0: bit. Yeah, before you do that. So uh, all of the files, everything you want to back up is stored in a uh, a big folder uh, on the drive called Documents and Settings. That has within it every account. Now, I don't know if you have more than one account, but if you do, you'll back up the whole Documents and Settings folder. Easiest way to do that is to buy an external drive that is as big as the hard drive of your existing computer okay. and uh, and copy that, just copy the whole Documents and Settings folder over. If you've used encryption, you got to be a little extra careful. Okay. Uh, um, on Vista, it's users, not Documents and Settings. Is that true? Ew. There's also uh, uh, a uh, tool on Windows called Easy Transfer, that can also do this. In fact, I think because you're doing an upgrade to another version of Windows, this probably would be the best bet, is to uh, use Windows Easy Transfer. Okay. Um, and so uh, uh, you, you'd still want to get that external hard drive. Okay. Um, and it will back up all your files, your folders, even things like email and network settings, uh, program settings, and that and that's handy and then it'll allow you to um copy it over to the new Windows 7 install by using the same program to restore it.
8: Okay, so it, it if I did like not 32 or something it's not fast enough to back it up or
0: Well Carbonite is the backup solution that we advertise. It yeah, depending on how much data on is on there. It's that's that's more of your long-term backup strategy than a short-term solution yeah, for this that, particular, because you, yeah, you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait while this all happens, right?
8: Yeah, not at all. I just want to put it in. It's been sitting on my computer desk for two weeks, you know. Yeah. I just want to get it in there. My wife, oh, Yeah. In the inning, I, ate
0: yeah. I wonder if I could find a. Um, article on the internet that would describe this chat room is there a good uh, is a good article a tutorial that would go you know step by step for somebody who's never done this before it's pretty dan in our chat room says take it to a 13 year old kid he'll know how to do it <laughs> no, i got a 13
8: year old but he doesn't play with the computer much he's
0: not a geek <laughs> you need to find a geek the geek down the street essentially what i would do i'd, I'd today i'd go over to Fry's or uh, a computer store buy a hard drive a 500 gigabyte hard drive that'll be enough space Run the...
8: Um, you know, that's
0: it. Yeah, yeah. You, you should... By the way, uh, you can upgrade in place with Windows 7. You could just run it. You won't have to back it. They say back it up in case something goes wrong. But uh, you can just run it and upgrade. I'm not a fan of doing that, although I have to say Vista is pretty much... Uh, Windows 7 is just an updated version of Vista, so there's not a whole lot of... Uh, uh issues with doing that. So you can do the upgrade in place if you want, and that might be easier. It'd still be a good idea to have a backup. So I'd still go out there and back up all your stuff just in case something goes wrong. Okay. Um but uh it's just it's always that's why they say it. They don't want you to call up and say, "Hey, I did what you said and I lost everything." So, so if you if you if you Google um uh easy transfer windows easy transfer you'll get a microsoft article where you can download it um and it'll it has it for vista 32 bit or 64 you'd have to figure out what you have have on your system you probably have 32 bit and it'll and there's even a video there that explains how how it works That's, this is actually probably the, the best page for it it's a microsoft page just it's the first thing that came up when i googled windows easy transfer you will download the vista version you'll run it You'll have to have an external hard drive to transfer the data onto. And then you can do what I recommend, which is a clean install of Windows 7. You start from scratch and then run Easy Transfer again to restore the data back off of the hard drive. It really is a pretty clean, simple way to do it. If you're at all uncomfortable with it, you probably could pay the guy the, the guy at the local computer store 50 bucks and get it done, too. Jody in Las Vegas, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Jody.
9: Hi, how are you?
0: Well, well. Happy Mother's Day.
9: Thank you. Thank you. I have my little cat, uh That's my mother.
0: <laughs> hey, you're a cat mom. That's okay.
9: Um, um, thank you for taking my call. It's so funny. I just sat down at my computer. I'm having issues. I have Gmail. I got an iPad 2, and I have an iPhone. And I was at the Apple store yesterday. They weren't able to resolve my problem. Um, my Gmail was set up on both my iPad and my iPhone as pop accounts. My desire is to be able to check my email at either location and yeah. for it not to get deleted on my Gmail account.
0: You don't want to use POP. You want to use, and this is weird, Exchange. Oh, okay. G- uh, Microsoft Exchange actually works with Gmail. In fact, on the iPad uh, the advantage of you, and the iPhone, the advantage of using... You know, when you go into emails, you'll see Yahoo, Gmail, and one of them will be Exchange. In fact, I think it's the first one. One of the advantages of using Exchange is it also copies your calendars and your address book. Okay. So, and it also sets up emails so that, the problem with POP, the way POP works is it downloads the mail. Any changes you make are local only. Right. What you really want is to use IMAP. And Exchange is kind of the same. Where the mail is stored and saved on the server, when you write a message, it's saved on the server. So it'll appear the same on all your devices. Right. When you delete a message, it deletes it on the server. So again, it appears that way on the iPad and the iPhone.
9: And I don't want it to do that. I don't want it to delete it on the server. I want it to just leave it on the server. I want it to just be able to access my email, look at it on my iPhone, you know, and then address it.
0: You can't have it both ways. Okay. Say, you said initially you want to have it the same email on all the different devices.
9: Right, and it sounds like I'm—I've got a pipe dream going here because IMAP I know deletes it. It's like one live thing. If you delete it in one, space, right, you delete it everywhere.
0: So you either have you—you you, kind of want to half ref, half the same.
9: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, then the other issue I was—I've been experiencing lately is that when I send an email from my uh, Gmail account on the computer, it's actually sending me a copy too.
0: On my phone. Right. Then now you have to look at what what the CCs are in there. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We'll talk about this when we get back. Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my Internet, my Internet service provider, DSL Extreme for high speed Internet at an amazing price. Call 866, the number two get net to get DSL Extreme. All right. We uh, we're going to we're going to reboot Jody from Las Vegas. <laughs> and I'm going to uh, we're going to see if we can figure out what you what you want to do, Jody. And then maybe I could figure. So, Jody, you have an iPad and iPhone. And your and your mail is on Gmail. Yes. You would like the mail on Gmail, iPad, and iPhone all to look the same, right? Correct. Except to, that when you delete something on one on one device, you want don't want it to be deleted everywhere.
9: I just exactly. I want to be able to read it on my phone and then delete it because I don't like that box to get all cluttered up. But I still want it exist right. on the server and on the iPad until I <laughs> manually delete it.
0: Well, that's what that pop would be perfect for that. Uh, the, the way you'll do it, though, is you'll make sure you leave mail on server from every device that you get the mail and let and that way it won't delete it from the server. But each store on the iPad and the iPhone is local only. So any change you make, any sent mail is only reflected inside that device. Now, my suggestion is not to do that. If you use Exchange and you delete it from an iPad or iPhone, it doesn't actually delete it on Gmail. It just moves it into the archive. So Gmail, unless you explicitly say delete this, just archives everything. So it's not visible in the inbox, but it is in the archive.
9: So when I set up Exchange and I'm on my iPad right now, it says something about my Exchange. Do I, is that an account you pay for? Is that separate?
0: No, it's part of Gmail. Normally you would. Exchange is Microsoft's email server but if you search for uh, google and exchange and setting up exchange on ios or in fact i'll I'll tell you what i'll put in the show notes we'll put a link to a good article that explains how to do this it's a very easy thing to do um and once you set it up uh you get some real benefit. this is how i use the uh, iphone and the uh, ipad you get some real benefits one is that like IMAP, you have a central store that is reflected on all the devices. When you delete something on the iPhone, yes, indeed, it moves it out of the inbox everywhere, but it doesn't delete it. It's in the archive folder, so it's still available to you. Um, it also updates your calendar and your uh, address book, which I kind of like. So
9: when I delete it on my phone, is it, is it not then going to show up as new mail in my Gmail box?
0: That's correct. It will show up in the archive folder. Okay. Okay. Um, you could, uh, if you really wanted to do that, then you should continue to use pop mail and, uh, then you have a local version on all your systems and whatever you do on the iPad does not get reflected anywhere else. Those are your two choices. There's no kind of half and half.
9: Right, and there's no exactly what I want. It's it's going to be either or and I need to decide what's going to work best for me. So I would
0: yeah, and I unless you really have a compelling argument for using pop, I would really always use exchange on an iOS device with Gmail. It's just it's just the best way to do it. You you're right when you now go to your Gmail on your web account, that message won't be there, but you've read it. You shouldn't want to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, a very important rule of productivity is touch everything but once. No, I know sometimes. So once you process that mail, I don't want you going back to your inbox on Gmail and having to look at it again as if you've never seen it. You have. I know. I know. It'll still be there for reference. You can always search for it in the archive.
9: Right. Okay, well, then I'll check the show notes for that.
0: Uh, for the- yeah, there's a, we'll put a link. James, you'll put the link that uh, Dan put up there just a minute ago uh, for how to do that. The other, I mean, you can get really fancy. You could set up two Gmail accounts. You could set up filters. You could set up processing. There's are, there are ways to do it. You could, for instance, have a Gmail account that is for the desktop only that automatically retrieves everything from your Gmail account that you see on every every device that will those mails will stay in the inbox. They'll be cleared out of the second account, but they'll always stay in the inbox in the other account. I mean, you could do that with two Gmail accounts. Yeah, true.
9: Okay, all right. Well, thank
0: you. <laughs> You're welcome, Jody. I think long and hard about this is this is actually probably one of the hardest things to figure out. It's why people like Merlin Mann and Gina Trapani and Lifehacker exist because. Nowadays, thanks to email and uh, constant text and, you know, access and Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, we have this incredible flow of information and managing it in a rational way is not easy. It's not easy. And, and, And so it's nice to kind of think about it ahead of time rather than create an ad hoc system, which is what we all do. We all all did do it in the, from day one because it just kind of crept up on us. But uh, every every geek at some point should step back and say, "Wait a minute! <laughs> How did, what? Let's re let's rearchitect our workflow so that it uh, wastes less time." And one way to do that is to have this rule: I will process each item of information once and only once. This is kind of one of the fundamental rules of getting things done. The getting things done highly recommend this. Dave Allen uh, wrote this book called Getting Things Done. It's geeks love it because it's uh, all about systems. But it really does help in getting things done. And uh, a couple of rules. One is that you need a safe, trusted place to stick everything that you have to do. If you think of every Task everything you have to do as an agreement you've made with, with yourself or somebody else to do something. You want to keep those agreements. You're making those agreements. You need a system that will keep track of those agreements that you can trust. Get them out of your head because the problem is you think of them at times when you can't do anything about it. So it, it just messes up your mind. He says you have to have a mind like water. And This is all about having a Zen state where you don't have to think about whether to do something. You've stuck it in a trusted place. And then you have a system for reviewing it. And the idea is to, when you get that email and you process it, you process it once, you handle it appropriately. You either act on it right away, you defer it, and by putting it in a place where it says, this is something I need to act on, or you delegate it, You get it out of your inbox. But don't leave it there so you can look at it again. That's a mistake. <laughs> that is really, that is, I, you know, I, everybody gets to do what they want. You can have any system you want, Jody. But just from bitter, bitter experience, my suggestion is get it out of there. Get it out of there. And you do need it. Sullivan's asking, well, how do you review it? Well, you do need a review system. So what you do is you get it out of your inbox and you process it. You either do it, you delegate it, or you put it in this place where you put things that you need to do. And you review. And that place is your, is your key to your to-do system. And that thing is set up so that you review it daily daily and weekly and monthly and you uh, and you have this kind of con, you know continual reliable system that will let you know what you need to do next. Really do recommend getting things done by Dave Allen. It's a great book. You can get it uh, in the bookstore, every bookstore will have it. You can get it at amazon.com. You can there's audio versions of it. You can get it on the Kindle. It's uh, very simple. Uh the problem I have to say one of the reasons geeks love this is because it's all about setting up systems. And geeks would far rather set up a system than actually do anything. And I'm guilty of that. From the Palm Pilot to the, right through to the iPad 2, I got systems, all my systems. I don't do anything, but boy, do I have good systems. Joe in Oklahoma, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Joe.
8: Hey, Leo. Thanks for taking my call.
0: Thanks for calling.
8: Um, a few weeks ago, we had a storm, and uh, power was off for like four days, when the power came back on, my router was fried. I finally got a new one in. Uh, while I was while I was waiting on my router to come in, I hooked my computer up to a dial-up, and everything worked all right except for, you know, slow. Um, then when I hooked the new router up, it's wireless, and uh, I, all of a sudden I, I can't get any video out of my uh, desktop. It just uh, says no signal on the monitor and then goes right to sleep. And, uh, I was wondering just
0: video or, uh, I mean, what, what does this have to do with the router? Are you talking about watching YouTube? Um, no, I was just
8: referring to the fact um, um, it would. Uh, okay,
0: you got some damage. I'll, I'll talk about what the damage is and what you can do about it in a second. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Big tech guy, 8888, yeah. 88. ask Leo, Joe in Oklahoma, big storm hit his computer, fried his router right there, you know, okay, we had a bad power surge, right? The router got fried because this often happens, power's out for four days, when it comes back on, it frequently comes on um, uh, in a wave. If you think of, uh, if you use the metaphor uh, of water in a pipe, electricity is somewhat like that. And uh, when you first, when the power comes back, it's like a big surge of water at high pressure. And what happens with electrical components, particularly solid state electrical components, is that high pressure electricity, boom, can, can blow out chips, can fry chips. Uh, so if your router went out, all right, your router was connected at a computer. That surge didn't stop at the router. It's a tidal wave. It goes right into the computer and probably fried some other components. Video's not working. Maybe your video card got damaged. Obviously not completely because you wouldn't see anything on the screen, but you can't play back video. Maybe that's it. The problem is very difficult for me to tell exactly what's wrong. You're going to have to bring this, bring this in, Joe, because Somebody's going to have to take a look. It could be something simple. It could be a loose cable, uh, video cards. You know, when they put video on the screen, especially in older computers, uh, they do it a little differently than they put the the Windows desktop on the screen Uh, because older computers didn't have enough power to play back video in the same way that they display the desktop. They would do something called overlay video. They would essentially blast the video directly into memory. Uh, It could be that, and that's a checkbox, by the way, (laughs) it could be just somehow that got unchecked um, on your, I mean, it could be as simple as that, but that's why you got to bring it in. You're going to have to bring it to a tech person who can sit down and look at all the options. You may well have to replace your video card. That wouldn't be surprising if that power was enough to fry the router. Probably other things got fried. Michelle and Corona, Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
9: Okay, real quick. I'm using Windows XP and I have Nod Antivirus. About the last three times Microsoft has done their updates, I guess on Tuesdays. On Thursday, I'll see in my taskbar that the Nod icon is orange, meaning it needs my attention. I go to it. It says it can't update the signature base. Reason why I need updates to be installed. So I go to the Update Center. Sure enough, there's a bunch there to update. So I do it. And like out of 17, like half will fail. So I'm like, okay, I go back, do it again, restart my computer, turns on, everything's fine, and then Windows will be doing the updates again, and I have to restart it again, and it seems fine. But I don't understand why it's failing.
0: Uh, Not sure. Uh, It's certainly, you're doing the right thing, which is not giving up. You're being nice and tenacious and saying, no, I'm going to get all those updates. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's
9: set to do it automatically, so that's all cool.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure either, to be honest with you. I haven't seen that happen before, but it may be, uh, you know, sometimes an antivirus needs a manual update. It can't just automatically download the updates. Usually that means that the antivirus engine itself needs to be updated. Um, I I guess all I could say is make sure automatic updates for both Nod32 and Windows are turned on. Uh, Make sure you have plenty of free space on your hard drive. And it may be, in fact, that uh, some issues are going on with your drive. um, And it's kind of hard for me to tell exactly. So um, I'm not sure. It's not a Windows Update issue, folks. Windows Update's working fine. I'm looking at the chat room right now. Uh, By the way, Michelle, seeing what they say. It is a Nod32 issue. I guess you could call Not 32 and I'm just not sure what's going on in terms of the Not 32 updates. Your, your Windows updates are going fine, but your Not 32 aren't. It does sound like there's some issues uh, with uh, permissions, perhaps, in your hard drive. But I'll be honest, I, do, I just don't know. I just don't know. Sometimes, you know, I, I apologize. I would love to be the magical solution for every problem that happens. But a lot of times, unless I can actually put my hands on the computer, I can't really tell. I'd have to... Mess around with it. Then the last two calls are a good example of you You need to mess around with it. Um, one suggestion I'm getting from the chat room, which is a good one, is to uninstall Nod32 and reinstall it. nice thing about the way Nod32 works, it's account-based. So you uh, log out of your account, uninstall, reinst- log into your account, reinstall. Usually that's pretty straightforward. Um, that might be a good idea. Uh, the orange you're seeing from Nod32 according to uh, our chat room says it's, uh, it's because there's a windows update that needs to be uh, done. Maybe that's the issue. And of course your subscription has to be up to date once, you know, it's funny. uh, I got a call from the nod 32 folks. Somebody had been, was really upset because their, their system got bit by a virus and they had not 32 installed. And we, we investigated, we found out that they hadn't paid for not 32 in three years. Uh, Unfortunately, this is the case with most antiviruses these days. It's a yearly subscription, and as soon as your subscription lapses, and they warn you many times, but if it lapses, you won't be getting virus updates. There's no point in having an antivirus that is not getting updated because the real viruses you have to worry about are the new ones. Those are the ones that are spreading so fast. So if your subscription is out of date, do pay for the update. We just I saw some interesting consumer reports just... Uh, Uh, in the June issue talked about antiviruses. I don't know if how thoroughly they, I'm not sure I trust them for tech information per se, uh, testing antiviruses particularly is notoriously difficult, but they did say that they do not like Microsoft's windows security essentials. And I've seen some people say it's not very good for zero day flaws. So if you're trusting the free windows security essentials might be a good idea to get a not 32 or something better. Let's also talk about backing up because that's so important if you, um, you know, it's step five in your complete security solution. If the worst happens, having a backup makes it so much easier to fix the problem. And that's where Carbonite comes in. Carbonite is online backup. It's automatic. As soon as you install Carbonite, it starts backing up whenever you're online without slowing you down, without slowing your Internet access down. And the beauty of this is that you don't have to wait for a disaster. You can access your files anywhere anytime. You just log on to your Carbonite account on your Mac, on a PC, even on your Windows or your Android or your uh, your iPhone, your BlackBerry phone. It's there. It's it's online storage in addition to the best backup ever. It's just $59 a year. That's less than 5 bucks a month for all your valuable files on your on your internal drive. I want you to try it free right now for 15 days. Go to carbonite.com. Use the offer code Leo. Once you see uh, how it works, if you decide to buy, as I said, 59 bucks for 12 months. Except when you use my name Leo, you'll get 14 months. Two months free. You got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with Carbonite. Carbonite.com. Use the offer code Leo. Uh, Sam is in Downey, California. Hi, Sam. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
10: Hi, Leo. How are you?
0: Wonderful, Sam. How are you?
10: Okay. I spoke to you before. Uh, this is Sam from the Green Genie. Okay, uh, I'm developing an application for the green screen, which I already have. But I'm, I want to make it a photo booth. What I want to do is to lock the PC completely. They only can have access to the application. They cannot go to the start menu to anywhere else.
0: And and, and why you, why do you want to do that?
10: <laughs> because uh, what I'm doing the uh, the application will run on on a, a laptop.
0: You want to use every bit of the CPU and everything?
10: No, no. The reason oh. for that application will be the photographer taking the pictures, the images transfer, then the person goes back to the laptop, the end, the, and Just the, the the visitors, you know, whatever, and they can go and run the application themselves. And just choose the pictures and do the the conversion. Oh, so
0: for security, you don't want, you you want them to stay inside the Green Genie? You don't want them to exit out and use the system
10: at all? Yeah, because I might put several computers, like you know, so they can go. Yeah. To, you see, uh, traditional photo booth, they just take the picture, it does it. Here, they can go and make selection, do whatever they want. But I want them to keep them stay in one application. <laughs> the keyboard and maybe a security they can just go unlock the whole thing you know
0: boy I have no idea I th- is it your is the computer going to be the customer's computer
10: no well I, I develop application which I sell it but then uh, the, they say you have a uh, you have, let's say if you have two laptops there so the laptops is going to be on the floor and uh, we have an event, right? And uh, they can go and use the pro- use it once they do, but I want the lock. In other words, let's say you're running, a ma- forget the software. Let's say you're running a web page only.
0: Okay, what you want is kiosk mode. A kios- so if you if you Google it, this is what a kiosk does, right? You're on a kiosk and... It may be running Windows. You don't know unless the thing crashes. Sometimes we see kiosks with blue screens of death, and we know it's running Windows. So uh, what you should do is Google kiosk mode for the versions uh, of Windows that you're using. It's pretty easy to put it into kiosk mode. That's exactly what Microsoft designed it for. I think that's what you want. Hey, thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great geek week. I hope you come back next week. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Bye-bye.